Well, good morning. Um, it's good to be gathered together, and it's really good to be up here and actually see faces. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's great. This, this is Palm Sunday, and if you've been around church for any length of time, you will be familiar with the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem. Um, and I'd love to start this morning, before saying anything else, just by re reading that story, that account, um, from the book of Mark, chapter 11, verse 1 to 11. I'm going to read it. Uh, you may have Bibles on your phones or real Bibles, paper copies, but it should be on the screen behind me as well. So Mark chapter 11. As they approached to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of her father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. I'd love uh, to pray for us just as we come to, to explore um, what God wants, us to, wants to say to us this morning from his word. Father, thank you for the stories of Jesus that we can learn from, but also thank you that your word is living and active, that it's alive to the extent that it makes a difference to us. We believe that you speak to us, and I pray that despite maybe the familiarity of this passage and of this season, that you would speak again to us, that you would open our eyes uh, to see the real living Jesus, that you would uh, reveal um, new things to us, things you want to show us about yourself, things that you want us to do as your people. Father, and I pray for us that we would have open hearts, hearts that would be eager uh, and willing to listen and to see uh, you, Jesus, in all your glory. Thank you that you want to speak to us today. We believe that you want to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. And um, as, as the introduction said, that we're, we're following Jesus on his journey to Jerusalem, his journey to the cross, and we come to uh, a key point where he's entering uh, Jerusalem. And uh, it's a key point. There's a, there's a whole theme through the book of Mark where Jesus, he heals someone and he says, don't tell anyone. He casts out demons. He says, keep quiet. Don't say anything. He says to the disciples, don't tell anyone that I'm the Messiah. But we come to this crucial part in the book of Mark, and that silent motif, as some of the commentators call it, is completely taken away. 
and Jesus comes in in a very public way into Jerusalem. This is a very deliberate act on Jesus' part, and on one of my slides I have a little cross-section. Um, because I uh, was a geography teacher, I, 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 you can't take the geography teacher out the, out, the, out the man, so I went on to Google and said, well, how far is it from Jericho to Jerusalem? It's about 38 kilometers. You can walk um, uh, walking there. And so Jesus went by the, from Jericho up to the Mount of Olives and then into Jerusalem where we join him today. Not only is it 38 kilometers, a good day's walking, I think eight hours, 36 minutes according to Google, you also have to climb. You're not going to get from Jericho to Jerusalem accidentally by wandering there. You have to deliberately, I need to go to Jerusalem because it's, a, it's quite a climb. Jericho, the lowest um, city on earth, and, uh, 254 meters below sea level. And Jerusalem is on a hill um, uh, about 750 meters above sea level. So quick calculation there. It's about the height of a Monroe from Jericho to Jerusalem. And again, I always have to get that into my preaching as well because uh, um, Monroe season is, is fast approaching is here. So I'm dying to get out into the hills again. So it's a deliberate thing. J Jesus, this isn't an accident. And um, Jesus is revealing himself in a way that he hasn't revealed himself in a way. People have got hints and, and things up to this point, but Jesus is revealing himself as the king of Israel, the coming chosen one who is going to liberate his people. Um, and there's little things in the passage that we read that just indicate Jesus' kingly role. He takes on that role, and he's been taking on that role a while with the disciples, but he continues to command them. He's in charge. He gives instructions, and they obey him. And the instruction that he gave the disciples here is a bit strange. Go into the village ahead, basically take the colt that belongs to someone else, and, you know, bring it back to me. I, I don't usually go and um, take other people's mo modes of transport just randomly. Uh, I, I'm not in the habit of doing that. Um, usually we call it thieving. I don't do that. But what's, what's going on here? Jesus isn't actually stealing. He's borrowing. Um, but also, he's acting as the king of creation. He created this world. Anything he can use in this creation. And in this very deliberate act, he says, that's mine. I'm going to use it. I need it for my purposes. And he also knows what's up ahead. He hasn't been into the village yet, and commentators are, are undecided whether he just knew prophetically there's a cult going to be ahead or whether he had a conversation with a fellow pregnant. He said, oh, I know folk with a donkey. It's, you know, here's the address, number three, um, Jerusalem Way. There you go, on you go. I, I don't know, but he takes charge of the situation. He knows what's happening, and it plays out exactly like the disciples say. He's the one in charge. Everything about this passage points to the fact that Jesus wants to be known as king. And not only that, but he chooses the time and he chooses the place very carefully. Jerusalem is the place that all the people celebrated, the big festivals. There would have been crowds coming in from the countryside, from the towns and villages to worship and take part in a week-long festival of Passover. And that time, uh, the, the place is really important. That was the seat of power and authority 
in, the, in, uh, in that area. The puppet king Herod was there. The religious authorities were there. Pilate uh, was there. The governor, the Roman governor. And it was all, it was all a deliberate choice because all the prophecies about the chosen one coming to, to restore the people to their land again had a king coming and riding into Jerusalem, a king coming back to Jerusalem to take his rightful place again. And Jerusalem was the place where God had chosen historically to presence himself with his people. Everything about this, entering Jerusalem, this was no mistake. Jesus wanted to communicate, I am king. And the time was really important. It was Passover festival, and Passover was the time where the people of Israel remembered the time when the, when the, the nation um, was birthed, when the nation was gathered by God in Egypt. And it was the last plague. Remember when they were there, there were a series of plagues to encourage the Egyptians to let them go, to release them into um, the future that God had for them. And the very last plague was a plague on the firstborn. And the Israelites were told, the angel of death is going to pass through the land, but your firstborn is going to be saved if you slaughter a lamb, eat that lamb together, sprinkle its blood on the doorposts. And when the angel of death will see that, he will, the angel of death will pass over. And your firstborn will be saved. Your nation will be saved. So at this time, at this place, Jesus prophetically is saying, I'm the king. If you haven't realized it already, I am the king. Come to restore my people. And in fact, there's allusions, not just allusions, but Jesus enacts one of those prophecies. He's all getting the, the colt of a donkey. Riding into Jerusalem is a, a physical enact, prophetic act. From the book of uh, Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, the verses there says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. We have that image in Zechariah of a victorious king. The war is over. Victory has been won. And the people respond, and Jesus allows them to respond, and they become part of this prophetic act proclaiming that Jesus is king. They quote Psalm 118, Hosanna. It's a, a Hebrew for save, save us, please come and save us. And that cry of save us turned into a cry of praise in, in, the, in the book of Psalms. It could be taken either way and both ways. But this sign of praise, but of save me, who were they expecting to come and save them? The chosen one, the Messiah, the king that was going to come and restore, the, get rid of the occupying forces and give them back the land. Blessed is the coming king of our father David. David, greatest king in Israel, promised that a descendant of his would come and release his people again. Everything is pointing to the fact that Jesus is the king. And the people come, and what do they do? They, uh, they come and take their coats off the back and put them on the ground. Who would you do that for? You would honor the highest people uh, around, the people in authority, royalty. That's where, that's the sign that people considered Jesus 
as this descendant of David, the king, as they put their coats on the ground and they waved the palm branches. It's only John's gospel says it's actually palm branches, but it's a sign of victory. Here is our victorious king coming to save us. And uh, Jesus gladly accepted the worship. He gladly accepted the worship of the people. It doesn't say in Mark. It just, it's, it's silent in Mark. Um, it just, the event happens. But in both Matthew and Luke, Jesus is challenged. What, stop the people from saying this. It's blasphemous. You should, they shouldn't be saying this. They shouldn't be praising you in this way. And Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, from the mouths of children and babies, I'll furnish a place of praise. He accepts their worship and also puts down the, uh, the people who were challenging him. Well, even children know this to be true. What about you? This is primary stuff. And in Luke, he says, even if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus accepts the praise as king. So by his deliberate actions, by the praise of the people, we can see Jesus, this act is Jesus coming to be king. And this idea of spreading your coat on the road, I've just been pondering that. What would it have looked like afterwards? I have a son who um, confessed several months after being given a detention when he was in like primary two, I think. He got a detention. I was like, what? Our son, what? Like our perfect child. <laughs> no. Um, what did he get a detention for? He was kept in at lunchtime. He wasn't allowed to go out to play because at break time, he'd come back and he was too muddy. Me and Helen were absolutely outraged, but too much time had gone past. We couldn't sort of go and speak to the teacher. We thought, okay, two months ago, that's a bit much. But five and six-year-old boys are supposed to be muddy. It's on the instruction packet. Even five and six-year-old girls, in my experience, are supposed to be muddy. Um, and certainly that's my experience. Um, and things haven't changed in our house because Toby's a rugby player and he comes. And, but I would really be suspect about his commitment if he came home and the, the kit, the strip, didn't go straight into the washing machine. It's supposed to be muddy. It's supposed to get dirty. And the stuff that we have at our disposal, the stuff that God has given us, we're supposed to lay it down in worship at his feet. And sometimes it is trampled, and sometimes it gets maybe a bit torn, and sometimes it gets a bit muddy. But you know what? I think that's what's supposed to happen, because in those words in the passage, the Lord needs it. The Lord has need of it. What do you have that the Lord has need of, that you need to lay down in front of him? And sometimes the stuff that we lay down in front of him, it does get a bit battered and dirty and there's holes in it. And we begin to wonder, what is, was it worth it? Was it worth it giving up that time? Was it worth it giving up my gifts and talents? Because it seems to have gone to nothing. A number of years ago, um, me and Helen were youth workers in a previous life. And um, these uh, local leithers, uh, Leith youth started coming around the church, disturbing the, the gatherings and services. We put on an open youth group for them, and they came around 
Um, and we knew, we always knew it was a Wednesday because we would wake up early with a nervous feeling in the pit of our stomachs. Oh no, we've got the... They were feral, would be a polite word of saying. We had to, um, at one point we had to challenge them to take, they'd found knives in the kitchen, like bread knives, and they were trying to steal them and take them into the community, to take those off them. Someone left the door of the balcony open one evening and they were trying to jump from one side of the balcony to the other. It was, there was a lot of pain and sweat, maybe not blood, but a lot of pain and sweat and tears went into nine months of just getting to know them, trying to introduce them to Jesus. And we turned up one day. One evening, we opened the door. No one turned up. It's like, where are they? Okay. Maybe they're, you know, I don't know where they are. Maybe they've forgotten or something else. Is on. Maybe there's another event. Came up the next week, didn't turn up. And we never had any contact with them again. To make matters worse, someone in the church said, I didn't think you should really be working with those people anyway. Well, thanks for the encouragement. And at the end of it, I have no idea what good we did. I have no idea what happened there, but I know for a fact that Jesus accepted our worship. But at the end of the day, we didn't see any visible signs of, of, of progress, except I felt a lot safer walking around Leith for the next few years because uh, I could I recognize some of them by, by name. But there was no recognizable change, no recognizable... But we laid our coats down in front of Jesus and they got trampled. There was holes in them and they got a bit dirty. And it was an act of worship. There's some people here who are wondering, why do I keep doing that? Why do I keep leading that? Why, why am I still a community leader? Whatever it is, nothing is wasted when it's laid down in front of Jesus as an act of worship. Maybe some of us do need a challenge at this time. You know, the, since the pandemic and the various lockdowns, we've got out of rhythms of maybe regularly meeting with Jesus. Maybe what he wants you to lay down is a little bit of time, just a time and space for him to speak to you again, personal time maybe. Maybe for some of us, it's more like community time, getting involved in a community and coming to gatherings regularly again and saying, Jesus, a little bit of time. And I know in a city, where there are people are working a lot and raising families and are busy trying to start careers. We're, we, we are called time poor, but maybe that precious thing is what Jesus is asking you to lay down in front of him. But I can assure you it will never be wasted. He will accept your worship. The second half of today, I want to just focus on this whole idea of what Jesus asked the disciples to do and what, and what Jesus was doing. This theme that what Jesus did was completely unexpected. Jesus asked the disciples to go and get this colt and like, and completely unexpected, what's going on here? And also the bigger picture, Jesus comes to be the Messiah, but he didn't come as anyone expected him to be. Not on a war horse with an army, but on a donkey with the pilgrims from the provincial towns and villages. So this whole theme, Jesus comes and sometimes asks us to do unexpected things and sometimes comes and reveals himself in unexpected ways. 
So that whole thing with the, with the colt and the donkey, I, I would have had a lot of questions. First of all, I'm, we've been walking all the way down the length of Israel, 140 kilometers or something, 170 kilometers from Capernaum. And in the last few kilometers, like, can you get me a donkey? Well, Jesus, I, I think you're probably strong enough to, if you're feeling a bit tired, we've got friends at Bethany, let's just keep there for the night and then we can just walk in in the morning. I would, have, like, I would have had a lot of questions, like, geez, I'm not used to commandeering other people's vehicles. Um, I'm a bit uncomfortable with this. I would have had a lot of questions, but the disciples here obey, completely unexpected. What, what's Jesus doing? I don't think they knew, but they obeyed him. And then there's the way he comes as king. He comes in a completely unexpected way. He didn't come with an army to overthrow the Romans. He came on a donkey, a borrowed donkey, just as he had been born into a borrowed feeding trough and a borrowed stable 30 years previously. He didn't have wealth behind him and the self-sufficiency that comes from that and the power and status that comes from that. He had no official position. And he didn't get an official welcome either. He wasn't welcomed in with a cavalcade with the limousines and the flashing lights. Have you seen that in Edinburgh when the royal family come to visit and the, the streets are shut? The, the police motorcycles and the numerous black cars with flashing lights and you don't quite know which black car with the tinted windows that the royals are in. And have you noticed that they, they speed through the street? They actually break the speed limit when they're coming in. Have you noticed that? There was none of that. Instead, the pilgrims coming from the villages and countryside, the rural towns, the provincial people just spontaneously start celebrating with homemade banners. There's no red carpet, just the jackets from their backs. He didn't come with a magnificent feat of power to impress everyone. Didn't use his political savvy to, to maximize the, uh, the power base that he had grown at this moment. The PR people would have like, brilliant, geez, you've got the crowds at the place. You've got the vote. He just walked into the temple, wandered around and went back to Bethany. With the moment's lost, what are you doing? There's no military genius. He just goes into the temple. He teaches, he tells stories, overturns some tables of the, the money makers in the temple. He celebrates the festival with some close friends. He eschews the violence and force of worldly power and allows himself to be arrested, to be mocked, to be falsely accused, sentenced, flogged executed in a debased way that Romans citizens would never allow themselves to be executed and would never execute another Roman citizen, executed in a way that was kept for slaves. So Jesus comes as a king, but in a rather unexpected way, in humility. Following Jesus doesn't come with a promise that everything's going to turn out all rosy. It doesn't come with the insurance documents with the small print detailing all the eventualities that aren't going to happen. 
following Jesus comes with the promise that he's always going to be there, but also with the promise that things are going to be unexpected. He's going to ask you to do things you didn't think you would ever be asked to do. There's going to be questioning. There's going to be twists in the journey. There's going to be times where you don't know the next step and you don't, can't see around the next bend. And I think this is because it's about relinquishing control. Jesus wants us to follow him. He doesn't want us to be the leader all the time. I was in the 915 gathering and there was a meditation. They mentioned in the book of Mark the story of Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee. Well, the disciples crossed the Sea of Galilee. And then Jesus joins them later by walking on the water. But the point in the meditation um, was like Jesus told them to go and cross the Sea of Galilee, but still they got into a storm. Still it got difficult, but Jesus had told them they were obeying Jesus and still they were in that situation. Jesus is big enough to cope with the unexpected in our lives, but he's also wants us to follow him, to trust him. I have a quote from Eugene Peterson, which I think summarizes better than I could do. Um, and hopefully it'll be on the screen. So Eugene Peterson in the book, The Jesus Way, said, the way of Jesus cannot be imposed or mapped. It requires an active participation in following Jesus as he leads us through sometimes strange and unfamiliar territory. In circumstances that become clear only in the hesitations and questionings, in the pauses and reflections where we engage in prayerful conversation with one another and with him. Maybe you're at that point where you're following Jesus has taken an unexpected turn. I want to encourage you. It's part of the journey. Jesus is there with you. Maybe for some of us, there's been an unexpected turn and it's got too much and maybe we've stopped following Jesus. And maybe you just need to hear, yes, there's been an unexpected turn. It's part of the story. It's part of the journey. You can't see the way ahead, but it's okay. Jesus can. He knows what's up ahead. And as we finish, I just want to think about this humble king. And as we come to take communion, I want you to think about this humble king. I think this humble king is exactly who we need to be following. Jesus is exactly who we need. The one who didn't follow his own interests. Who gave himself. Who resisted positions of power and power plays. He is a leader we can trust with our very lives. And I wonder if it was these stories that Paul was meditating on when he wrote these words in Philippians chapter 2. So from verse 3 it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death 
on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The fact that Jesus is King demands our obedience. But Jesus, as the humble king, never demands our obedience. He wants us to freely give what we have and who we are to him. He's the humble king. He can be trusted. Where do you need to trust Jesus, the humble king, again this morning? So Jesus has welcomed his king. What you offer him will be accepted and never wasted. What is he asking you to offer this morning? Jesus, by being king, by being in charge, knows the way ahead. Sometimes we don't. There's unexpected turns in the road. Do you need to accept an unexpected twist in the road? Or where do you need to recommit to obeying him when you don't understand? And we can't trust King Jesus, because he is the humble king, he will look after us. I'd love to pray for us, and then I'm going to hand back to me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you again for Jesus, the humble king. Father, we want to come and lay our lives before you again, give you what we have, knowing that you will look after us, knowing that we can trust you with our very lives. Father, come and do among us what you want to do. That is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.